seat if you would, please. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3 this morning. We are working our way through the book of Galatians. We've been doing this for several weeks now with a study that we are calling the heart of the gospel because in Galatians we find that again and again Paul writes to what is at the very heart of the gospel itself. And even in this text that we're going to study this morning in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, we find again that he is preaching the gospel to the Galatians. Now, at times, when we, when we read through a, a book like this in the manner that we are doing it, where we are systematically studying our way bit by bit, verse by verse, working our way through, it seems a little bit repetitive, right? It, it may even seem somewhat redundant because what we are doing is we're taking a, a whole letter and we're breaking down its pieces. It's like if you sent an email to someone and then that person that received your email took that email and line by line, sentence by sentence, they tried to break down what you were saying and offer you know, their, their understanding of, of what it was that you were saying to them. So remember that Galatians was written as a letter to a group of people, to bodies of believers that lived in the, in the area that we would call Galatia. And so these, this letter was written to address issues that were happening with them. And foremost among that was the idea that there were some who had come in behind Paul and his fellow laborers who were preaching to them a gospel that was contrary to the gospel that Paul gave them. They were preaching essentially uh, untruth to them. They, they were delivering a false gospel. And so what Paul is attempting to do in this letter to the Galatians is set the record straight about what they ought to believe. And so it stands to reason then if the purpose for Paul's writing is to make sure that they understand, that they know the gospel, and that they believe the gospel rightly, that he would again and again go to the gospel. He would again and again refer to the elements, these, these truths of the gospel. He's speaking about the heart of the gospel here. And so it is that as we study through this, we're going we're gonna to go over many of the same themes, the same ideas over and over, but so that you don't tune out, so that you don't hear this and, and that you don't think, well, I've heard this before, can I tell you that we need this truth? You need this truth in your life. It doesn't matter if you've been a believer for eight minutes or if you've been a believer for 80 years. The reality is that every one of us need to have the gospel at the center of our lives, that our hope, that our faith, that our lives, that everything we do would be centered around the truth of the gospel. And so just as we're studying the heart of the gospel, may the gospel be at the heart of who we are. And so we go over this again and again. Paul's writing the gospel to a church here. He's writing the gospel to a group of believers. And again and again, he is preaching the gospel to them through the words of his letter. And may we always be faithful to lift up the gospel when we study God's word and come back to the gospel anytime we study God's word. It's not, the, the gospel is not just the entrance, that, the, the, the ticket that gets us into heaven. It's not just the doorway. It's, it's our everything as followers of Jesus. And so we remind ourselves of the gospel again and again, just as we will in Galatians chapter three, beginning in verse 10. 
For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now in this passage, Paul is building on the previous text that we studied just last week in chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And in chapter 3, those first nine verses, we learned last week that everyone who follows Christ by faith, everyone who comes to Christ by faith, becomes an heir of Abraham. They become a son of Abraham by faith. Remember that in the Old Testament, God made a promise, a covenant promise to Abraham that if Abraham would walk with him, that God would, he would be his God, and that through Abraham, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. And we studied last week how that promise is extended through the heirs of Abraham, but most specifically through the heir, the, the heir singular there of Abraham, through Jesus himself. And so through Jesus, God fulfilled the promise that he made to Abraham, and it's also by the work of Christ on the cross, that the, the covenant blessing that was promised to Abraham is made available to all who would come to Jesus by faith. And so in verses 8 and 9, it says that the gospel was preached to Abraham, saying that in you all the nations shall be blessed. And so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So we, we've just studied a passage, uh, uh, these verses that teach us that through faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the promise that we would become heirs of, of, of God through this covenant promise that was made to Abraham. And now, in order to further prove that this is always the way that things have operated, that, there, that, that even Abraham was saved by his faith and not by his works, not by the things that he did, Paul continues to write about those who live under the law being under a curse. And he quotes in this passage that we're reading from this morning extensively from the Old Testament, using the Old Testament scriptures to prove his, his main point here, that it's not faith in God plus anything else that saves us. It's not faith in God plus keeping the law that saves us. That's never been the way that things have operated, and certainly it's not the case in, in this situation where Paul is writing to the Galatians, and it's not true for us today. So Paul writes that all who rely on works of the law, in verse 10, he says, are under a curse. This morning, I want to talk about this curse. Because in order for us to truly understand what it means to be saved, what it means to be redeemed from our sin, we have to understand what we have been saved from. Or in other words, we need to understand our need for salvation. That Jesus didn't die on the cross because you were a bad person and he wanted to make you better. Jesus didn't just die on the cross because it seemed like your life was a little bit chaotic and lacked some focus and some purpose. He died on the cross because you were dead in your trespasses and sins and you were hopeless apart from someone who would pay the price for you to redeem you from your sin. 
And so he quotes here from Deuteronomy chapter 27 when he says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So if we were ever to violate even just one of the law, one part of the law, then we would be cursed. The, the book of James tells us that as well in the New Testament. That anyone who violates one law one, in one sin is guilty of the condemnation of the whole of the law. And he goes on in this same passage in Galatians then to quote from the, the book of Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verse 4 of Habakkuk says that the righteous shall live by faith. And so he says in verse 11, it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. He's using the Old Testament to create his argument here. The same Old Testament that the Judaizers would have been using to argue for why the Galatians needed to follow the law. Paul is using the, these texts to argue that, no, it's, it's faith in, in Christ and nothing else. Verse 12, but the law is not of Faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. And so the law doesn't save us by faith. The law condemns us because the law points out that if we were to seek salvation in the law, then we have to follow every part of the law. And not only that, we have to follow it perfectly. So he quotes from Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5 here, when he says that the one who does them shall live by them. Continuing, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Again, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse, 20, uh, verse 25 here. And so the, the point is, in, in using these Old Testament scriptures, in, in arguing from the Old Testament, what Paul is doing is he's showing that it has always been that salvation comes through the promise of forgiveness by faith. And it's not the law. It's not following the law. It's not keeping the law that saved. Just as it wasn't following the law that saved Abraham or anyone since, we cannot be saved by following the law. So none of us should come to Jesus and pray a prayer of salvation and then fall back into the thought, the idea that somehow we have to work or earn our salvation, that we have to be good enough, that we have to do enough good things, or, or better yet, so that our, our good outweighs our bad, so that the final, of record, the final record of our lives is that we were, we were a pretty good person. Paul utterly demolishes that, that argument in, in any way in this and so this morning, I want us to, to dig in and I want us to, to work our way through this so that we can understand what it is that we have been redeemed from. So in your notes, you see three things here, that we're, three categories, if you will, three points, and I'm going to give you several sub-points underneath these. And the first one is the problem. The problem, of course, is our sin. The problem is the fact that we live under the curse. And so in this text, we see that your sin has placed you under a curse that you will never escape on your own. Sin has placed us under the curse. And the purpose of the law is to show us this truth. The purpose of the law is to reveal to us the, the many ways that we, that we fall short of God's righteous standard. And so we see that following the law will reveal all of your sin if you follow the law, it's going to point out every one of your sins because the, the law is a standard, and our sins, of course, fall short of that standard. But it is never enough to pay for your sin. 
Following the law will reveal your sin. It will show you your sin, your sinful ways. But it is never enough to pay for your sin. In a sermon several years ago that John MacArthur delivered on this very text, a sermon that was entitled, Redeemed from the Curse of the Law, MacArthur listed 12 different reasons why we don't want to live by the law, 12 reasons why we cannot live by the law. And so, obviously, I want to I give you these 12 reasons, but I want to move through them quickly because this is just a part of the message. I'm not going to camp out here and spend all of my time here. And so, listen to these 12 things that MacArthur says. These are 12 reasons why we cannot hope to be saved by following the law, the first one that he gives is that the law requires behavior that is contrary to your nature. The law requires that you live in a way that you don't want to live, a way that's contrary to your nature. That the law, secondly, requires behavior that is impossible. The law requires behavior of us that is impossible. Because thirdly, he says, the law requires perfection. None of us can be perfect. None of us can hope to attain perfection, even if somehow from this point forward in your life, you could, you could be perfect. You've not been perfect in your past. And so the law requires perfection. Fourth, he says, the law refuses to accept good intentions and effort as compensation. Your effort, your works is never enough according to the law. Fifth, the law accepts no payback plan. You cannot pay for sins of your past. You cannot make good on things that you have done and pay back for the wrong that you have done because the best you could possibly hope for would be to pay for the sins you have yet to do through perfection, which you can't do because you can't be perfect, right? And the law has no, accepts no payback plan. Next, the law is an unrelenting master. The law is an unrelenting master, meaning that there, it, it never lets up. There is no, it doesn't take holidays. It doesn't take vacations. It doesn't turn a blind eye when you sin in secret. The law is always there revealing your sin. Seventh, the law destroys happiness. The law destroys our happiness because when we understand the law and we understand our inability to keep the law, then we are condemned in our sin. Eighth, the law requires the severest penalty. There is no grace under the law. Ninth, the law demands but doesn't help. The law makes demands of us but does not help us to fulfill those demands. Tenth, the law offers no salvation. Eleventh, he says, the law listens to no one's repentance. And twelfth, the law offers no forgiveness. There is no mercy and no grace under the law. Now, why do I share all of that with you, is to show us that according to the law, we are truly, utterly cursed. Meaning that the purpose of the law was never to save us. Rather, the purpose of the law was to condemn us. The purpose of the law is not a way of salvation, but it's a way of condemnation. And so in the law, we find not a means to be saved, but rather we find that we are condemned in our sin. Today, it's very popular for people to twist or distort the gospel by, by believing 
lies that are often told that, well, Jesus came to give you purpose and meaning. Jesus came so that he might make your life better. Jesus came to fulfill you, to give you happiness. And the reality is that each of those is an effect of the saving work of Jesus in our life. When we are saved by grace, we find purpose. We find fulfillment. We find not just happiness, but joy. We find meaning in our lives. But the reason that Jesus offered himself on the cross, as Paul even says in this passage, that he became the curse for you, redeeming you from the curse of the law, was because you weren't just a bad person. You were dead in your sin. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the reality, is that each one of us is condemned before God in our sin, that we deserve God's wrath and his punishment because of our sin. And so Jesus offered himself on the cross for us. Of course, this is the provision, right? So the problem is our sin. The problem is the curse that we live under because of our sin and the fact that the law points out all of our sin. It reveals all of our sin, condemning us in our sin. But the provision is this, that Jesus conquered the curse of sin by placing himself under the curse when he did not deserve it. He conquered the curse of sin by offering himself for us. Jesus willingly offered his life as payment for sin that he did not commit. The scripture teaches that Jesus lived a perfect life He did not sin in any way, that in every way he was guiltless before the law, that he was the spotless lamb is the way that he's described in Scripture. He he had no guilt, he deserved no punishment, no wrath, because he lived a sinless, perfect life, and yet he willingly offered himself on the cross to pay for your sin and to pay for my sin. He became the curse for us so that he might redeem us from the curse. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Hanged on a tree, of course, is a reference to Jesus' death on the cross. Now, the cross was a symbol of punishment. The, The cross was an object of torture in its day. The Romans would crucify criminals. They would crucify those who were traitors against Rome, and then often they would leave them hanging on the cross outside of the city as a sign to everyone else that you you need not follow the way of these criminals, that you had better observe the law, that you had better keep in line and do all of the things that you're supposed to do, or else you would face an end similar to these criminals, these traitors who had turned against Rome. It was not just an object of torture and punishment, but in many ways it was a sign to everyone else that you better stay straight. You better not act out. You better not rebel or, or try to rise up against Rome or else this would be your fate. And so Jesus hung on a tree as a sign to everyone of the punishment for sin. And yet, because of God's great power over sin and death, We understand that he rose from the dead on the third day, conquering death. And so not only did he live a perfect life, not only did he offer himself in place of your sin, but he conquered death on your behalf so that you and I could be set free. No one else would do that for you. 
No one else would offer their life as payment for your sin when they had lived a sinless, perfect life. No one else would go through all of life and living a, a sinless, perfect life. But not only would no one else would do that for you, but no one else could do that for you because we already understand that none of us are sinless. Every one of us stands condemned before God because of our own sin. Even if you say, yes, I would, I would do that for others, the reality is you couldn't. The best you could hope to do for is pay for your own sin. And even at that we see the law condemns us. It does not save. It shows us that there is no way of salvation through keeping the law. And yet Jesus offered himself for us. He became the curse so that he might conquer the curse, so that we might go free. And then finally, the plan that is revealed. Not only did Jesus conquer the curse by placing himself under the curse, but finally we see that the curse is lifted from us through faith in Jesus Christ. So through Jesus, this covenant blessing of Abraham is extended to everyone who responds by faith. Everyone who turns to Jesus by faith, receives this covenant promise that was made with Abraham. So that it says, as it says in verse 9 of Galatians 3, that we might receive the promise given to Abraham, that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed, that through him everyone would receive blessing. We receive the blessing of God as a promise by faith when we turn to Jesus. Not through obeying, not through keeping the law, not by attending Sunday school, not by having uh, you know, a, great, a, a great tithing record, not by being a good person, not by helping others. Only through faith in Jesus can we be saved. We also see that those who receive Jesus by faith are then justified through his righteous work, not account of their own works. They are justified by faith, just as if they had never sinned. The only way to have your record expunged, the only way to be forgiven and have your past and your future wiped clean of all wrongdoing is to come to Jesus through faith. And God's plan is that as we come to him by faith, that then we would continue to live by faith so that we could say we have been saved by faith, so that we might live by faith. In other words, we have been redeemed so that we can redeem. Now, I don't mean that you and I have any kind of redeeming power in our own. It's not that God saved you so that he might give you the power now to go and redeem others. But his purpose, his plan for your life is that the rest of your days would be spent pointing back to the saving work of Jesus, pointing others to Christ, so that just as you have been redeemed from the curse by the one who became the curse for you, you might point others to faith in him as well. And so we have been saved by faith so that we might live by faith. We have been redeemed so that we might redeem, that we could join God in proclaiming this offer of redemption through faith in Jesus. That's the plan that God has for us. That's the purpose that he has for our lives. So that as we live 
for Christ by faith, as we trust in him, as we obey him and follow him, our lives would be a testimony. Our words would preach the gospel to others around us so that through us, others might see and believe. And think about it this way. Every one of us who have come to Christ by faith have done so because someone else has made that kind of an investment in us. Now, it may have been someone that you know. In fact, most likely it was a parent, a grandparent, a Sunday school teacher, a friend, a family member, a neighbor, all of the above, right, who showed interest in you, who made an investment in your life, who gave sacrificially in some way through their time, through their effort, so that you might hear and respond. Some might say, well, no, that wasn't me. See, I was, I was just in a hotel room, and, and I opened up the drawer, and I picked up the Gideon Bible, and I read the Scripture, and I believed. How do you think the Bible got there, friend, unless someone else was obedient along the way, right? I mean, every one of us can point back to the fact that in some way or another, we came to faith because someone else made an investment in us by being obedient to the call of God in their life. And now that we have come to faith, we join in that work of bringing the redemption of Jesus to a lost and a dying world that we have been redeemed to redeem. So here is the question that all of this, I think, naturally builds to this, this point of, of question, right? This, this moment that we have to ask ourselves this truth. First and foremost, have I ever truly trusted in Christ by faith? Am I trusting in, in myself and my goodness and my good works to save me, or am I trusting in Jesus for my salvation? Am I not looking in my own works, my own goodness, my own righteousness in any way, but instead believing fully in the saving power of Christ? And if the answer to that question is yes, then the next question that I have to ask is, how then am I engaged in this kingdom purpose of sharing the gospel with others? Of course, if the answer is no, I've never trusted in Christ by faith, then what would keep you from responding by faith to him today? Today, he stands ready to receive you, ready to forgive you, ready to cleanse your sin, ready to set the record straight, ready to offer you new life through the grace of Jesus. And if you have trusted in him by faith, then how are you engaged with his kingdom purpose? You have been redeemed to redeem. So the question naturally is, so how are you doing that? How are you accomplishing that? So all week long as I've been studying this text and, 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 and praying over this and, and digging into the background and, and, and all the things that go into preparing a sermon, I've been driven by, I've been motivated by this moment, okay? This, this moment in time right now that when we get to this point in the message, this moment, that God would lay a burden on your heart for how it is that you would join in his kingdom work, having been redeemed to redeem. That if there's never been that moment when you've been redeemed by trusting in Jesus by faith, that you today would surrender your life to him 
that you would experience his redemption. And for all those who have experienced that we would reach this moment and realize that we have been redeemed to redeem. So in just a moment, when we move into a time of invitation, our altars will be open. And my prayer is that if God has laid any kind of a burden on your heart today, maybe it's a person that he wants you to share the, the, the hope of Jesus with. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's a, a whole group of people, right? A whole group of coworkers or family or friends. Maybe, maybe it's something in your life that even now he's convicting you. The Holy Spirit is working in your heart, showing you that there's this thing in your life that needs to change because your life doesn't reflect this redemption purpose of God. That, that you, instead of turning to him for his grace, you keep trying to earn your way through just being a good person. God, even in this moment, is bringing conviction in your life that it's not enough. Being a good person is not enough. Whatever way that God is placing a burden on your heart, and I'm, I've been praying like crazy that he would, then in just a moment when we sing this song of invitation, I pray that you would come forward and that you would just surrender that burden to him. The, the steps of the stage here will function like an, an altar in that sense that you can come this morning and you can just kneel here in prayer. And whatever it is that God has placed in your heart, whatever burden, whatever person, whatever way that he wants you to respond in obedience and faith this morning, that you would come and surrender that to him. And if you sense that now is the moment that you need to surrender your life to him, that also you would come and Doug and I will be here at the front and you would come and just take us by the hand and say, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus today. And let us pray with you so that by faith you could offer your life to him. We call it the invitation because we're inviting you to respond as God leads you, as he prompts your heart this morning. And so I want to ask if you would, that you would join me in a word of prayer before we begin the time of invitation. And in this time of prayer, I'm going to pray that God would speak clearly to your heart as well as to my own. And that his direction for our lives would be so obvious to us that we wouldn't be guessing, we wouldn't be wondering, we would know exactly how he wants us to respond, and then that we would go the next step and that we would do it this morning. So Lord, we come to you this morning believing that you became the curse for us so that you might save us from the curse that condemned us all. God, that you offered your life on the cross so that you might do for us what we could never hope to do for ourselves. And now in this moment, Lord, we want to surrender all that we have to you. We understand that you redeem us so that we can join in the work of sharing that redeeming love with others. God, you save us so that we can join in your kingdom work of sharing the gospel, the good news, with all who are lost and in darkness. Father, may you do your work in us so that our lives may reflect you to the world around us. We pray in this moment. Amen.